Well, good morning, everybody. It's a pleasure to have each and every one of you here, and it's our time now to turn to God's Word and open it and and learn from the book of Proverbs. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I'd ask you to grab that pew Bible and the pew rack in front of you and turn to the page uh, 530 as we continue uh, in this series where we're learning uh, where to uh, gather uh, wisdom uh, for the things and the issues that are uh, pressing most in our lives. And uh, we've been addressing uh, Proverbs uh, of different kinds, of different sorts, giving wisdom and advice uh, to different areas of our lives, and, and we've, we've gone from that which is serious even to the sublime uh, with regards to uh, learning from God's Word out of the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And uh, today we find ourselves in Proverbs chapter 6, if you want to turn there this morning, Proverbs chapter 6. And as you do, we've been learning that Proverbs are a wonderful and witty way for us as followers of Jesus Christ to be pointed in the right direction. One biblical scholar and author once said that Proverbs is theology dressed in everyday clothes. That which at times theology can be stuffy, it can be um, difficult to understand. Uh, The author says that Proverbs is a way to uh, present profound truths and deep truths about God and about ourselves and about our sin and, and about our pursuit of righteousness. And to do so, if you will, in layman's terms, in everyday language. And I hope that you've been blessed by our time in this as we've addressed different uh, subject matters. And over the last couple of weeks, what we've addressed are issues and, in, in, in fact, things that we need to be careful not to be doing, uh, to go uh, out of our way to make sure we're not involved in those things. Last week, last week we talked about sexual purity, and, and uh, the Proverbs talk about staying away from the house of the adulteress, the prostitute, who will lead you to sexual immorality and that we're to stay away from such things. Well, today's topic or subject matter out of the book of Proverbs is something about teaching us about the things that keep us from doing things. You know, last week we learned about a sin of commission, the things that we do that get us into trouble. This week we're going to talk about the sins of omission, if you will, the things that we don't do that we should do. Uh, and as a result, miss out on the blessing and benefits that come from God. And so on this Labor Day weekend, as we uh, take a moment for a holiday after a busy summer and as a, uh, a busy uh, time of work, we as a nation take a break and celebrate our labors. And on this Labor Day weekend, I, I want to speak on the subject of laziness. But here's the problem. I had every intention of bringing a sermon to you. I just didn't get around to it. And so we'll read the passage and pray. Some of you still don't understand what I'm saying, but you'll catch on. We're going to read this passage, and some of you right away, and, and I, it is in God's Word, this issue of laziness. And many of you right away will say, come on, a sermon on laziness? I mean, why in the world do we invest our time? And what we're going to learn today is the Bible speaks seriously on the subject matter. We're going to address it, and we're going to do so by looking at Proverbs chapter 6 as a springboard. And we're going to learn from the smallest of creatures as to how you and I are to be productive, are to be trustworthy and faithful in all our dealings, including the labors, both at the office place or, or in the workplace, as well as around the home and in our families and in our relationship with God, we're going to learn from the smallest of creatures what it means to labor and to labor well. So I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. 
And this is what the word of the Lord says for us. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When, you, when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Father God, we come before you and we ask for your blessing on the reading of your word, the listening to it, and the application of it into our lives. Lord, not to be redundant, but I pray for us as a people that each of us, including myself today, would not be lazy in our listening to this message. We would not be lazy or lax in our serving of you. Lord, whether we're serving a, a fellow human being in, in the workplace or, or a teacher and administrators in the school or our parents in the home or our elders and our pastors in the church, Lord, that we would be known as people who serve well because we serve with all our heart. We abound in every good work. Lord, we do this so that you will be glorified. We do this so that people will see that Christians are serious about following the word of God, even when culture accepts this as just being something uh, as small. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be impressed by your word this morning, and we'd be challenged by it so that we'll live differently as we leave this place. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. There's something about each of these messages in the series that we've looked at that will, in the book of Proverbs, tempt us to look at the sermon title on the docket in the bulletin and say, well, that's great. I'm so glad Tim is going to preach on this subject matter because so-and-so needs to hear this message. And some of you are so excited because you're looking at the teenager down the, the row from you and like, Junior, you better listen up. Junior, who I have to rip out of bed every morning. Pastor Tim's got a message for you. Let me tell you something. All of us struggle with this issue of laziness. It is so subtle. At times it is so sublime that many times we don't even want to admit that we have it. And our laziness doesn't always look the same way. Maybe you are an early riser. You could still be lazy. Maybe you stay up to all hours of the night. You could still be lazy. You could be fully employed or unemployed and still in both of those ways be lazy. And what we need to do is admit that this laziness keeps us from doing God's best in our lives. Studies show over and over again that as human beings, we are a lazy people. To illustrate that, I'm going to throw you some slides up on the screen just to give you an idea. And you're going to resonate with these because I know I did. I was going to do something today, but I haven't finished doing nothing from yesterday. That's true for some of us this morning. How about this? I, I like this one. Rabbits jump, and they live for eight years. Dogs run, and they live for 15 years. Turtles do nothing, and they live for 150 years. Lesson learned. Some of you are hoping for that. I like this one, taking the Nike symbol. Just do it tomorrow and just enjoy the day. How about this one here? If there was an award for laziness, I'd probably send someone to pick it up for me. Some of you are there. I like this one. Lazy people fact, three trillion. Oh, you know what? We're just too lazy to read the number. Okay? You can call me lazy, 
I call it selective participation. I'm not lazy. I'm just on my energy-saving mode. Some of you are there. I I like this one because it reminds me how angry I get with you on Facebook. I'm sorry that my repeated check-ins at the gym remind you of how lazy you are. Some of you do that, okay? Uh, My wife liked this one. Organized people are just too lazy to look for things. This one is great. You, you could live by this one. Lazy rule. This is number one. This is the, one of the commandments. If you can't reach it, you don't need it. And I'm very busy doing things I don't need to do in order to avoid doing anything I'm actually supposed to be doing. That's true. Do we have one more up there? Or is that it? That's it. So here we find humor in our culture's understanding of laziness. But here's the thing. The Bible speaks of it being a serious issue. And with all kidding aside, we need to understand that we do, in fact, live in a world that is inundated and at ease with the idea of being lazy. The lure of deferring our daily responsibilities can be appealing on the surface. But as a habitual practice, laziness is sinful. And it can grow into a view of hopelessness towards individual achievement. Now we need to remember that laziness is not simply a bad habit or something we simply joke about. It's a sin that affects the whole of us as people and we as Christians need to ruthlessly root it out. Now the Proverbs describe the lifestyle and characteristics of a lazy person and we need to hear these words this morning because at times, maybe even without knowing it, We are people who have far too many excuses, far too many refusals, far too many postponements, and as a result, we too are falling prey to this subtle sin. And here the Word of God stands before us as a gentle yet stern reminder that even the subtle sin of laziness is missing the mark before a holy God. And so the Bible takes up this subject matter in the book of Proverbs, and it speaks of a word we don't speak very much, and that is the word sluggard, sluggard. And that word, it doesn't sound like a pretty word. I don't think anybody would ever want to be called a sluggard, even if they didn't know what it it meant. But it's defined simply as a person who is spiritually, emotionally, or physically an apathetic person, one who neglects the things of God or the physical and emotional things that are needed for the maintenance of life. It can be an outright refusal or a mere carelessness in a performance of one's obligations, whether they're spiritual, physical, moral, or legal, and it indicates a wasting away of a person who is unwilling to do what is required of them, that is the daily maintenance, refinement, and support in order to exist. So this person has found a reason to not do even the most simple tasks because they just can't get around to doing them. Some will say, what is so bad about laziness? I mean, is it really hurting anybody? Well, if we live lives of laziness, we must recognize that it is inconsistent with the life of a Christian because one of the reasons why God created us was to be stewards of the work he set before us. And the Bible makes it clear that one day God will gather his children up and he will ask of us what we did in this body. And so our laziness will be brought up on the day of judgment 
and it will determine the rewards that are before us as followers of Christ. So, it is good and right for us to study this subject. It is good and right for us to be productive people in all ways so that we can reflect the attributes of God. And so we're going to examine this very quickly this morning in three ways. Number one, as we look at this issue of laziness, we see that laboring, laboring dates back to the beginning of time. For all of human history, we have been people who have been given to working or laboring, both for a living and for our well-being. In fact, turn in your Bibles for a moment to the beginning of the book, the book of Genesis. Keep your finger in the book of Proverbs and turn back to Genesis chapter 1. If you ever have wondered where do you get a theology or an understanding of work, you need to understand that one of the first aspects of theology that we get in the entirety of Scripture is that of working from Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And one of the first things we learn about God, in fact, the first thing we learn about God is that God is eternal. In the beginning, God. And in those four words, we see that God is an eternal God. Now, once God has established that that he is not bound by space or, or time, he then moves to the second attribute that he wants us to know. In the beginning, God created You could put in there that God worked to create the heavens and the earth. And what we learn right away is that God is a working God. He's a creating God. And so notice there's a a statement that I want us to understand about the theology of work. And that is, first of all, as creatures, we need to understand that our creator, according to the gospel, I'm sorry, to the creation story, is that our creator wasn't lazy. Our creator wasn't lazy. Write that down uh, this morning. We need to understand that the first picture we get in the Holy Scriptures is not of a God who is lounging about, uh, enjoying some R&R. He is not the type of God that you would see. I was uh, watching a a, a old movie about uh, um, the Roman Empire, and they showed a picture of Caesar, and he's laying on what could be inevitably a beanbag chair, okay? And there were people fanning him, and and there was a a pretty lady that was holding a cluster of grapes over his mouth, and when he got hungry, he would just kind of reach a little bit and grab uh, one of the, the grapes. That is not the picture of God that we get in the book of Genesis. We have a God who rolled up his sleeves and who begins to create, by the power of his word, all that is seen, in fact, all that is unseen in our world and and universe. And so we need to understand that God is not a lazy God. He's not a God who revels in his uh, days off. He does not sit there and say, you know what, maybe I'll get to that tomorrow. He is a hardworking God. And And the way we can see that is by opening our eyes and looking to the world around us. We can see that the sky and the beauty of the stars around us, that God is an amazing God. We see it within the plants and animals and the, and the um, topographical design of the world that we live in. God was serious about his creation. We see the plant and animals that God has created, each of them having their own habitation, each of them having a very a different a life structure and, and place in this world. And then we look to the special creation of of human beings, and we look at one another, and we see that none of us are identical. And we see that God took his creating, 
seriously. I want you to also notice that, that when he created, he didn't do it because it was his job. You never see in the creation story where God says, huh, Another day, I guess i got to go to work, and i got to separate the light from the darkness and, and the water from dry land. I wish this project would be over. In fact, every time he created, he uttered the words, it was good. He did it for his enjoyment. God enjoyed rolling up his sleeves and, and working, if you will, to accomplish what he wanted to do. And so he would announce after every part to the angels around him, this was good. Notice also that his work was not something that he punched in and then punched out. At the end of the day, he didn't take his time card and and put it in the machine and say, I'm done, I'm out of here. But he's a God who is 24-7 relating himself with his creation. He is engaged with his creation, and he revels in the fact that he gets to relate to the creation that he has to be redundant, created. And he's fully vested in it. And he relates to it on so many levels. And so we could stop this message, and it could be short and sweet, by simply saying this. The reason why you and I as Christians cannot be lazy is that we serve and worship a God who shows no laziness whatsoever. And because God is who he is, a God who works and creates, therefore, because Christians desire to imitate that God, none of us should be lazy. Let's close in prayer, right? It's as simple as that. If you need one reason, that's the reason. We can't be lazy because our God in heaven isn't lazy. But because I want to show you that I'm not lazy, I came up with some more points. Second thing that we see is that God completed the task before him. Many of you know that Amanda and I uh, have just uh, recently added a room onto our house, a family room, and uh, we started uh, the week of uh, Halloween last year. And uh, my goal uh, was to, and I told Amanda her Christmas gift would be that we would be uh, in that room on Christmas morning, okay? And we made it. Okay, some of you know that uh, when we had our elder open house on the 23rd of December, we still didn't have carpeting and some things painted. But on Christmas morning, we walked into a fully finished room, and I was excited to be able to give that gift to my family and all that. We worked hard to get that accomplished. But here's the thing. Outside, nothing was done. In fact, for the next three months, my neighbors got to see the Menards Tyvek wrap all over the side of my house. A lazy person says, hey, as long as I can be content with what I have on the inside, who cares about the outside? And far too many of us are lazy, and we we maybe don't even recognize it, and I will ask you the question, how many things are left uncompleted in your life? You see, we got the inside of the project done, and, and at one point I said, man, it's good to be done, and one of my friends said, you ain't even halfway done. Let me tell you, I'm still working on that project. That project that took two months is still being worked on even today. And there's still a punch list left to be done with regards. It's not completed yet. Now, let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Are you, are you so glad, or aren't you so glad, that, that there isn't parts of this creation that you go out to the Grand Canyon, okay, you take your kids out there, and, and you get out there, and and there's a sign from God, uh, sorry, 
not completed, uh, work in progress. Aren't you glad that there isn't part in our dust we're still creating this place? That God in those six days of creation, he, he got the job done. There weren't things that are left. You don't see parts of the sky left unpainted. You know, you're like, what's that over there? Well, God's going to get around to that. You just got to find a reliable painter to paint in the, the sky and the clouds. Or, or uh, that you look to the moon and it doesn't look like the Death Star in the early parts of Star Wars half completed. God completed his task. And aren't you glad that you're, you're walking around fully functioning as a human being, that you're not sitting there waiting for parts from Amazon that God's got on back order for you? God was faithful enough in his work to make sure that the project of creation and all of that which involves the things that we see from uh, the most powerful of telescopes that are so far away and yet those things that are so small we have to look at the most powerful of microscopes, God completed all of it. Nothing has been left undone. And that then convicts us to ask the question, have we completed the tasks before us? And these are reminders that God is not some procrastinator or some uh, bump on a log. He does the job, and he gets it done. And you say, well, that's creation. He had to get that done. And there are things I have to get done. I want you to notice that all of Scripture points to the faithfulness of God time in and time out. In fact, in the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul says, at just the right time, God sent his son to be born of a woman under the law that he might redeem those under the law and that way we might become the children of God. And so God has been faithful that in every aspect of human history, whether we've been faithful to follow him or not, God has been faithful at the right time, at the right moment when those sands of the hourglass fell, when that final particle of sand hit that bottom chamber. God sent his son. God has been faithful in his job. And if we serve a faithful God in all of his works and dealings, then we as a follower of Jesus Christ should strive to that as well and to listen to the words of Jesus who say, if your Father in heaven is perfect, you should be perfect in all that you do. What a reminder for us, even in the most mundane tasks that we push to the side each and every day. Now, As a result, this is what God does. He isn't lazy. He's completed the task before him. And so what does he do? He now calls us. He now calls us to work. But notice, it's not as a result of the curse. In in Genesis chapter 2, in fact, turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says that the Lord took uh, man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now, I want you to recognize nowhere before this do we see that Adam had uh, failed to be in before curfew, that Adam had eaten or hadn't eaten some of his vegetables, or that Adam had broken some rule. That God said, here's your punishment, kid. You didn't listen to me. I'm going to make you work. At this point in Genesis chapter 2, perfection uh, is all over the land. Adam is living in total fellowship with his God and with uh, his fellow inhabitants, the animals and plant life. There's no thorns, there's no thistles. The devil hasn't even shown up uh, in the equation yet. Adam is living in perfect fellowship with his God and his world. And God says, I've got an assignment for you. I want you to work. 
And it isn't until Genesis chapter 3 that sin enters the world. And so the next time you, uh, on Tuesday, go into work and say, why am I cursed to be a, be a part of this? Where I have to work every day, I have to exert energy. Uh, what a terrible curse that our sin has laid before us. Your theology is wrong. Work has always been given as a gift, not a curse. And you need to recognize that because so quickly, when we have sweat on our brow and, and life is difficult, We begin to say, well, why would God curse us in this way? And we need to recognize that God uh, did not curse us in the way of work. What God allowed to take place was work at times to be incredibly difficult. Now notice, he does so for a couple reasons. Notice he does it not as a curse, but he does it as a command for our good. You heard right. God has given you the blessing of work. What an offensive statement on a weekend like Labor Day. In a world where we say, thank goodness it's Friday, where we work for our weekends and where Monday is the most difficult and worst day of the week because we're going back, we have to go back to work. Work sure does seem like a curse. And God says it is given for our good. I want to give you a couple reasons why work is good for you and remind you when you're on Interstate 88 heading to work why you should count it a blessing. Number one, work enables you, whether it is in the office place or, or in the truck or in the catering shop or wherever you find yourself working, work is good because it allows us to be creators, if you will, just as God was. What that means is we have an opportunity to build into the world that God has created. Now, I want to be careful that what you and I are doing is we're middle management. I don't create the pigs and, and, and the species of pigs to then put them on the grill. I take what God has given me, and I make them for people. You do the same thing. And yet we get to show our creative, uh, if you will, ingenuity that God gives us, and in some ways we reflect the glory of God as he was a creative God. We get to do that at work, and we do that through many different ways. Whether we're at home with the kids, or in the workplace, or in the school, we have an opportunity to declare the glory of God by being creative, ingenious people. And we get to do that. Notice number two that it shows our God's creative power by how he's gifted us. And so some of you are really good at swinging a hammer. Others of you have an an, an, an unbelievable knack of numbers and making sure that the administration of of a job is taken care of. Still others of you have an unbelievable ability to sell things to people and to Uh, help people understand the need that they have for certain products. Still others of us are are really good at at being servants and and serving other people and and helping people in tasks. And each one of our jobs, and there are a multitude of jobs that we do, remind us that God has gifted his people, not in three or four ways. Uh, If you remember the the B movie, some of you will remember it. You've got kids. I never saw the B movie, but I have heard it about a hundred times because it played on our Uh, Durango's DVD player, and so I hear movies, I never see them as I drive. But in the the B movie, uh, the two Bs are are talking amongst one another, and they're talking about graduating from school, and they're going to have a job, and there are nine jobs they get to choose from. And what job are they going to be a part of? Aren't you glad that we don't have nine jobs in this world? 
There aren't just nine things that we do, and it shows God's absolute creative power that he has gifted his people to do a myriad of tasks for the good of those in the world around us. But notice there's also the protection and providing that work gives. Just as God provides for us, his people, so likewise, when we work, we gain money and capital that enables us to serve our families, to give them a place to live, to give food to eat, clothes to wear, and enables us to serve our families well. And so work is a blessing because it takes care of our needs, but it's also a way of protection. Work keeps us from sin and trouble. I read a study recently on the urban plight of the ghetto, where the author who was raised in in that setting said, if we could make the ghettos centers of commerce and work, it would cut the crime rate exponentially. Listen to what his reasoning is. Because the men of my neighborhood would be too tired after a day of working to commit crimes. You see, part of the problem is, is, and this is true for us as young people, my dad used to say, you need to be home by 11 o'clock. And I said, why? He says, because after that, there's nothing to do. And when there's nothing to do, young men find themselves in trouble. Can I tell you, I have an arrest sheet as a young man. I can assure you of this. Each time I was arrested as a high school, some of you are leaving the church right now, but he... <laughs> Each time that took place, it was late hours of the night. And can I tell you how it got started? A group of dumb young teenagers, and yours included, would say, what do you want to do? Well, I don't know. There's nothing to do. And when we said there was nothing to do, we should have just got ourselves into handcuffs and just taken out the middleman. Because when you have nothing going on, you will find yourself in trouble. That's why idle hands are the devil's workshop. That's why when David should have been with his armies during the time where he ruled over the nation of Israel, when he should have been off at war, he found himself with nothing to do on the roof of the palace. And what happens? He ruins his life, not just because of adultery, but the preceding sin was that of inactivity and laziness. He should have been at work. Had he been at work, he would have never found himself being, being um, brought to Bathsheba's uh, place of, of taking a bath. So, we have before us this blessing that God has given. But amidst this blessing, we still find ourselves struggling with laziness. And notice the second point this morning is that laziness can be detected through a test. How do you know if you're lazy? Well, just ask your parents. They'll tell you. They'll be honest with you. Okay? Just ask your spouse. They'll be honest with you. But, but instead of doing that, I want us to all ask the question, am I truly lazy? And I, I want you to get beyond, well, I go to work and, and, uh, and I'm busy at tasks. I want you to look at all of your life and, and to ask the question, is this subtle sin infiltrated itself into my life, even into some of the most difficult things? You see, the book of Proverbs speaks of a lazy person in a humorous way. It speaks of a lazy person in the latter part of the book of Proverbs as a sluggard who is hinged to his bed, meaning he can't leave his bed. He's connected to it. And, and that then begs the question, does that describe us this morning? Well, to answer that question, we have to look to the Proverbs that will help us. And notice there's a couple ways that we see it. So if you're in Genesis go back to the book of Proverbs, and we're going to see in Proverbs chapter 6, 9, and 10 
that lazy people are those who often extend the deadline. And so the question is asked, do you often find yourself extending deadlines? Notice in verse 9 of our passage. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? The picture of this verse is a parent, so Solomon must have had a teenager at the time, who he would wait and watch to wake up. Is he going to wake up at 8 o'clock? 9 o'clock? 10 o'clock? 11? 12? When is this person going to wake up? But it's a much broader principle than simply the times that you wake up. The question is, do people wait around for you? Meaning, do you meet your appointments? When you say, whether at the doctor's office or, or in the classroom or in the workplace, that you're going to be somewhere or have something completed, are they waiting on you because you're not there? Because it's left in, incomplete. Do you hit your deadlines? Do you fulfill your expectations? Or are you always running late? Are you always seeking for a bit more time? Or are you finding, coming out of your, wor- your words or your mouth, the phrase is like this, just give me another day, teacher, and the homework will be done. Give me another week, boss, and I can have the presentation ready. Or kids, we're going to do this, that, or the other thing uh, on the weekend, and the weekend comes and goes, and the broken promises of a parent still remain in place. Do you find yourself extending the deadline? This is one of the, the blessings of being a caterer and preaching because there are two truths of catering and preaching that, that merge themselves together. A deadline is, is the name of the game. I can't get up as a preacher and say, you know what, guys, talk amongst yourselves for another half an hour. I've got, I think I've got some, some thoughts I'll put down and, and we'll get to the preaching of, of God's Word. Likewise, um, at a catering event, I can't tell the, uh, the uh, people, hey, can you postpone your wedding for a little time? Uh, the product didn't all come in, or, or the grill's not cooking as fast as it should. Uh, if I'm not ready on time and at that moment, I, I don't know if you've been around hungry people. They're not fun to be around. So I always bust the chops of, of guys in the uh, construction business that uh, they can say, well, it's raining, we can't work. Well, the product didn't come in. I don't have that luxury. I don't get to tell the people, hey, well, we'll start tomorrow. It's, we're going to start in the next five minutes or else. And so we need to make sure that we are really careful that we're not extending the deadlines. Is that something that is a part of your life? Number two, do you find yourself making excuses? Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, verse 13, one of my favorite passages of all of Scripture, because it rings so true. In uh, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 13, we see, we hear from the sluggard. And this is what he says. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. Well, why in the world would the sluggard say that? It's an excuse, The reason why I can't work today, I can't go out and be the carpenter that I'm supposed to be or the salesman or the student I'm supposed to be. The sluggard says, if I go outside, there's lions out there. And if I find myself outside, the lion may come and gobble me up. So it's not that I'm lazy. I've got an excuse for it. Something bad may happen to me. 
And some of us, this past week, filled our boss's ears and our teacher's ears and our spouse's and kids' ears and our, and our pastor's ears with excuses to cover up our laziness. And, and maybe you were ingenious enough to say, there's a lion outside, he may eat me. But you probably use something different. Because you were late for a meeting, unprepared for ministry, the homework wasn't done on time, the excuses. Well, traffic was a bear. The kids made me late. The dog ate my homework. My car broke down. The weather got in the way. Or there's a lion out in the street. No matter how fabricated they are, number one, they are usually lies. Because what made us late was not the excuse we give because of our laziness that kept us from being where we needed to be, having the accomplishments that were to be done there before us. Do you make excuses? Is your life full of excuses? Maybe you get away with them. Maybe you're a great storyteller and you can come up with all these grand ideas of why you're late. Understand that is not God's best and it's not what God desires of his people. Number three, do you try to expend as little energy as possible? Proverbs 20, verse 4, says the following. Proverbs 20, verse 4. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Do you find yourself where everybody else is working and busy doing things, that you're sitting at home watching TV? When everybody else is out working in their yard and and, and, and making sure that their yard is presentable, that your yard is full of all kinds of thistles and all kinds of... And, and be careful. What I don't mean is that uh, you make a god out of your yard, but that you recognize that there is something to the maintenance of a home and, and to a house. And those aren't fun things to do. I'm in the process right now of, of repainting my house. It, it looks all right. Nobody's banging down my door, but all house looks in disrepair. But if I want to keep my house looking presentable for years to come, i got to paint it, and that's not fun. I could be thinking of a million other things I'd rather be doing, and of course, your moronic pastor picks some of the hottest, most humid days to do it. I, here's one of my, again, favorite passages of Scripture. i got a lot of them. That's why I'm a pastor. But uh, Proverbs 26.15. Oh, this one, man, it hits close to home. In Proverbs 26, 15, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but it wears him out to bring it to his mouth. <laughs> Holy cow! What that says is some of us are so lazy that when we dip that Ruffles potato chip into the French onion dip, we're too lazy to bring it out and eat it. And what that means is we start a task... And we leave it unfulfilled, even to our own demise. And some of you right now, and it may be because of a myriad of reasons, laziness probably being a major one, that we've started something that is good for us, and it's been left unfinished. Because we don't want to expend any energy to be able to accomplish it. Point in in check here. here. Here's a perfect one, because you guys are all lazy and just failing to see it. How many of you have watched the most nauseating uh, and boring television shows because you can't find the remote? Right? 
I have watched some of the most boring Discovery Channel things because the remote's 15 feet from me, and instead of going and getting it, I'll just learn about the, the sea creatures in the ocean. You've been there, right? You're there, and you don't, I know you're a sinner, and I, I know it, okay? Because we don't want to expend energy. As a student in school, I was the last to be picked, not on the playground, but in the classroom, in group projects, because what they learned of Tim was that Tim was going to coast his way through school. And, and my classmates used to get angry with me, because when I got partnered with them, they would say, Tim's not going to pull his weight. Tim's going to be lazy, and he's going to work off of other people's works. And I'll tell you, I thought it was funny then. It's not funny now to be known as a lazy person. So we need to make sure that we're bought into this thing of work and, and modeling Christ's likeness and not being viewed as a sluggard who's hinged to our beds. Notice, finally, do you expect someone to get you moving? Do you expect that someone's going to get you moving? Look back to Proverbs chapter 6. We look at the ant. And the ant, it says, go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways and be wise. Verse 7, without having any chief, officer, ruler, or parent, or spouse, they get the job done. I added some there for commentary purposes. The ant gets its work done. It doesn't have to be rattled out of bed. It doesn't have to be managed. Uh, The ant knows what it needs to do, and it doesn't have to be told every minute, every minute detail about the work before them. They are not lazy. They're not lazy, first of all, with their minds. They dedicate their minds to the task before them. They examine what is required of them. They're thinking enough through the steps that if I need help, have you ever looked at the ants? There's a a dead carcass of of a creature on the anthill. And you'll see one of the ants go and try to get it and say, hey, hey, wait a minute, this creature is three times my size. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to go get my buddies, and we're going to come back, and we're going to pull this thing back to the, uh, to the homeland, if you will, and we're going to do so together. They're using their minds. Notice they have a long view in mind. It says that they prepare their bread in summer and gather food in harvest. They recognize that opportunities aren't always going to be there, and so they have to be ready, Johnny on the spot, to accomplish what needs to be resolved today so that there will be a happy tomorrow. And some of us, let me go back right now, some of us as students in high school right now are lazy, and we're thinking that it's fun and games. Let me tell you, I thought that way, and I am saddened that I don't have in my life a diploma that says I accomplish things as a college graduate. And some of us right now are thinking, oh, you know what, who cares? I'll find some. Let me tell you something. You better be working hard in school because there's going to be a time where the person sitting across the desk is going to say, well, hey, where did you go to college? Or, or what degree do you have? And, and you're going to be saddened to find out I can't have certain jobs because I don't have a degree. And so laziness can cost you when you take the short view of life and you do what feels good in the moment and not the long term. And so we need to be careful of that. Also recognize that are we self-motivated? No ruler, no chief, no parent to tell us what to do. They don't need people constantly harping over them to do everything. This last, or last two, weeks, or two weeks ago, we went to an open house for Noah's uh, first year in junior high. And what we heard from every teacher was this. 
elementary school is over. We expect more from our junior hires, and so your kid better be on top of things. Welcome to sixth grade. They're going to be given assignments. They're going to have to plan. They're going to have to uh, be stewards of their time. And so parents, you better understand that your kid is going to be held a whole lot more responsible in sixth through eighth grade than they were first through fifth grade. And the Bible is telling us the same thing. You and I must be responsible to get the job done. So we have four symptoms. Whether we find ourselves in the classroom or the office, the sales call or in the home, on a catering job or in the pulpit, we all must be responsible enough to know what is expected of us and we get the job done. So we need to admit it. Number one, we need to admit it. Admitting it's the first step of recovery. But let me tell you that it isn't enough. And please don't be lazy to hear this final point. And that is the following. If we're going to live productive lives, if we're going to live productive lives, and living productive lives involves both diligence and trust. Paul tells us in the New Testament that whether we eat or drink, that we should do all things to the glory of God. That includes our labors. And the New Testament is clear about laziness and the Christian life. In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, write this passage down. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, the elders of the church are to admonish, that means encourage very strongly, that's what the voice of an admonition is this. Hey, people, listen up. You're going to do the following. And so we are to warn against what? Idleness. This is a different word for laziness. And then in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 11, as if the Thessalonian church hadn't gotten it right, that the second letter that comes, Paul has to bring this up. Listen to what he says. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any one of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate For even when we were with you, we give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. One of the things that I hope is, is seen by imitation in my life is the following. You cannot say, as you can say of many pastors who preach the word, and it's okay, God allows for both to take place, but you can't say it of me. Well, it sure is great that Tim can preach on a subject like laziness, and he gets tomorrow off. All he has to work is on Sunday. That joke may have worked for your old pastor. It doesn't work for me. Because let me tell you, tomorrow's Labor Day and I have a thousand meals to prepare for. Okay? So what you don't get to say is, man, Tim, in the cheap seats of ministry, it's easy. Let me also tell you that some of the most hardworking people I know are pastors within this church. 
okay? And so you need to be imitating their life of not being lazy and not doing things. What you have before you are elders who serve you well, working every day just as hard as you're working, and then come to elder meetings and go to counseling sessions and go to hospital visits for the grace that they get to bestow upon the, the, the person before them to serve them well. And why we are doing it, number one, is to glorify God. Number two, so that we can be a model of what it means to serve God well, both in the workplace and in the church. So how do we do it? There's two understandings I want you to walk away from, and they're very important. Number one, we need to recognize when we labor that we cannot labor outside of God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. I need to finish up here in the next couple moments, and so let me, let me nail this quickly for yours and my good. This message can sound a lot like try harder, do more kind of message. And, and I don't want you to walk away saying, well, i got to roll up my sleeves and, and get to work. Yes, that's true. But you need to also recognize even, and this is a word for our people who say, I don't have a problem with laziness. I've got a list of to-dos, and I knock them off one at a time. I'm really good at this. And so this message isn't for me. You need to recognize that when you are laboring and knocking those things off your list, when things don't go your way and you've worked hard to get them done, you can't sin against your brother or sister or against your God in anger. This last week, I had one of those weeks. One of those weeks where I worked really, really hard. The hours, man, they, they climbed in duration. And I worked at it. And then I came home sweating every day from the job. And nothing went right. Things broke down. Things weren't as they were supposed to be. And as an individual who's trying to work hard to provide for a family, to do what God has said, in those moments I need to recognize that God is in control, not the details. In those moments I can't get angry and start yelling and screaming at people. I wanted to. It was a part of my flesh. I wanted to get angry, but I couldn't. Because God called me to be self-controlled. And so we need to recognize, maybe you studied for the test this week, only to find out the test was on something totally different than what you prepared for. Or maybe you felt like all the hard work on that last project was for naught. It is in those moments when you work hard that you dedicate, Lord, I did my best. And it didn't work out the way it is. And I'm so glad that though I am out of control, God, you are in control. And I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to trust that my labor's for you and, and, and my employer or my family will be productive. So I'm not going to get angry and I'm not going to sin, but I'm going to rely on you. But notice also, when any time we talk about God's sovereignty, it never negates our responsibility. And so there's a responsibility we have. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, we are told that you and I are to abound in the work that God has for us. Are you abounding? Are you serving God well? Now, before you close your Bibles, are you abounding in every good work? For the glory of God, start here, first of all, write these down. Am I abounding in good works in my workplace? Can your pastor or the person sitting next to you go to your employer and say, hey, how, how's so-and-so doing? Well, he's late to work. He extends deadlines he has an excuse for everything. If we were to go to your teacher, what would they say? Are you responsible? 
Are you known in the workplace or in the school as one who gets the job done and you reflect the attributes of God by seeing through and being faithful to your commitments? How about in your walk? That is your life as a, as a human being, as a, as a parent, as a spouse. If we were to go to your home and, and ask the question, if you were to come to my home, would my, would my kids say, yeah, he provides for us? Yes, he makes sure the bills are paid. Yeah, does my wife say, yes, he, he carves out time to make sure that my needs are met and, and that we're able to relate as, as a couple? How about my neighbors? Would they say, yeah, he's a responsible neighbor. He, he takes care of all that he needs to. And he's a, a faithful community member. That when he says something, he fulfills it in his word. Is your walk a walk of laziness or that of steadfast laboring? How about in your worship? Are you lazy with regards to your devotions, your private times with the Lord? Your prayer life, oh, I'll get to that this week, and only to find out another week goes by where prayerlessness has characterized your life. Well, we're going to reach out to, to our neighbors, so-and-so, and we're going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, only to wave to them once again as you pull into the driveway and into your garage. With regards to your worship, how about your attendance at church? Oh, I know we're busy doing things, but I believe one of the greatest hindrances to public worship is our laziness of not getting up. Let me tell you something that's a rule in the Bedal home that might be helpful. Worship does not begin at 9 or 1045. Worship in the Bedal house begins around 5 o'clock on Saturday. Because we know if we're not prepared, we've got three barbarians in the home, and if we're not ready at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, we're never going to get to church. And so we have to rewind and make sure all the kids' clothes are there because you know what happens. Can't find the shoe. And then we can't find the shoe turns into a multitude of sins on the way to church. Your laughter says you've been there. All right? And so we have to be late. We can't be lazy enough to say, well, we'll deal with it tomorrow. No, we deal with it now so that we can give our best to God in church. How about listening to a sermon? How lazy are you? Have you checked out already? How about with regards to your giving? Boy, this summer we were gone and and we didn't give. And man, it's too bad the church is behind on some things. Can I add that it's sad that the weeks before, and you'll say, well, this is a guilt. It is a guilt. Pastors get one every Sunday. It's, It's sad that the week when we should be talking about the vision of ministries, we're talking about how we can't start ministries with children because there isn't enough people to help. And you don't think laziness isn't a part of it? Brothers and sisters, we have been confronted this morning by God's word about the laziness in our lives. Maybe laziness is impacting you. Maybe because of neglect you've lost a marriage. Maybe because of laziness, you weren't accepted to the college of your choice. Maybe because you were shirking your duties, you have been now been caused to be unemployed. Or maybe because of the laziness in our spiritual disciplines, we left ourselves vulnerable to temptation. Maybe this message has nothing to do with you because you're perfect in all ways. But here's the thing. I haven't met anybody like that. And here's what I'm so thankful for amidst my laziness. I can look to Jesus. And Jesus, in whom I see, 
in whom the scriptures record was tempted to be lazy. Turn this stone into bread. They'll take care of your hunger issue. And Jesus didn't give up. Jesus didn't quit. In fact, the book of Hebrews says Jesus endured the cross and scorning its shame. And when he accomplished the greatest job ever given to anyone, he uttered words to lazy sluggards like you and me, it is finished. He completed it. And because of that, you and I who are lazy can rest in the love and forgiveness of God knowing on the cross he paid for our debt of laziness. And now because of that, he calls you and I to imitate him in all ways, including not being lazy. So let us repent of it. Let us turn from our wrong ways. And let us dedicate ourselves to living productive lives for his kingdom and by his grace. Let's pray. Father God, a message we need to hear this morning. Even for the most productive of individuals, we have pushed things aside, Lord, because we've chosen the easy path, the, the restful and relaxating path, if you will. Lord, we also recognize that we can go the other way and make every task a God in and of itself. And so, Lord, I pray that we'd use our minds and our, and our Bibles this week to know the balance between laziness and productivity. Lord, that we would recognize that when we finish tasks, we don't just finish them just to be done with them, but we finish them because we model for our children and our neighbors and our friends and family what you did in finishing the tasks before you. So, Lord, whatever tasks are before us, things that we don't want to accomplish, that we would recognize that there's spiritual value to getting the job done, and that we would strive. Lord, give us this Labor Day, not just a day off, but a day to really rejoice in the work that you've given us and the opportunities we have in the workplaces and in our schools to model Christ-likeness and to share the, the love of Christ and the blessings of Christ to the world around us. Now send us forth from this place. Lord, I pray today a day of rest would be a productive one. That we'd not fill our lives with, with mundane things that, that just let us live lives of ease, but let us live productive lives so we can serve one another and serve our God with the grace that you give us. Now send us forth from this place, Lord, hopefully a little different than we came in, so we may serve you better in the days to come. It is in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.